Welcome to another edition of the official Jets podcast powered by Amazon Web Services, Ethan Greenberg, Eric Allen, and we're joined by Connor Orr, the staff writer for Sports Illustrated, used to cover the Jets on the beat a couple of years ago. And we basically got his reaction to the early signings and agreements to terms in free agency. And before we hear from him, EA, I'm curious, what are your first reaction, your first impression of this class that Joe Douglas has brought in? I think the headlines headliners early for me, Greens, have definitely been Carl Lawson and Corey Davis. The Jets making that transition defensively from a 3-4 to a 4-3. They need an explosive guy off the edge. We talked about it in the lead-up to free agency. And Lawson in Cincinnati, 20 sacks in 51 games. But you got to look beyond just the sack numbers because he was one of the top quarterback disruptors in football over the course of the last two seasons and coming out of Auburn. Remember he had eight and a half sacks, his rookie season quarterback hits and quarterback pressures that have been part of Carl Lawson's game. And Joe Douglas has always talked about building from what on both sides, of the line of scr- scrimmage and inside out. Well, the jets have one of the better interior defensive tackles in football, Quinn and Williams, who can really disrupt the quarterback. Now they're bringing in somebody off the edge and Carl Lawson, who's got a lot of good football ahead of him. He's just 26 years old. Then on the other side of the ball, we knew the Jets were going to have to address receiver across from Denzel Mims, Rashad Perryman entered free agency, unrestricted free agent. He ultimately landed with the Detroit Lions, is going to play with the Lions as Pop's former team. But Corey Davis is a guy who had his best season with the Titans last year. And you go back to 2018, he had 65 receptions, much like 2020. But in 18, Matt LaFleur, the current Green Bay Packers head coach, of course, was the offensive coordinator with the Titans. So now with the Jets, Corey Davis is going to be playing for Matt LaFleur's younger uh, younger brother, Mike LaFleur, running that same Shanahan-type system. And Davis has shown the ability to flourish in that before. Yeah, I think the, the Jets got younger. They got faster. They added good pieces on both sides of the ball. And with LaMarcus Joyner and Jared Davis, it feels like the narrative around those two guys has been that they weren't properly used in their last system. So with Joyner and the Raiders, Ian Rappaport, uh, he tweeted something like Marcus Joyner was used primarily in the nickel. He wanted to play safety. He fits the Jimmy Ward play uh, the scheme. Well, the playing where Jimmy Ward played in San Francisco, LaMarcus Joyner can do that with the jets. And then with Jared Davis, a lot of people thought Jared Davis in the three, four, not a great fit in the four, three, he could flourish and really hone in on that talent that, is obviously there considering he was drafted 21 overall in 2017. So those two guys really stand out to me. Davis has an opportunity for a career reset here. Ironically, he was drafted a few picks after Corey Davis in the first round of 2017. And he was playing with the Lions last year in a three, four. So come here and uh, play in a four, three. And you've talked about the speed that he showed coming out of college and he's going to come and hit you. He fits in that solid mode where he's going to play one tempo and that's a hundred miles per hour. And LaMarcus Joyner, the Jets needed more depth in the secondary. Uh, 
Marcus May, of course, receiving the franchise tag so the Jets can continue to work on a long-term deal with their MVP from last season. But Joyner is a guy who's played all over the secondary with the Rams and the Raiders. So I think that was quite an addition. And how about special teams? I mean, Justin Hardy is automatically going to be a top five fan favorite with the New York Jets. I don't know what number any of these guys will wear. I don't know. I don't know what number Justin Hardy will wear, but he's number one in Jets fans hearts as it stands, because that press conference was electric. I think Jets fans and really all football fans and just anyone really would enjoy listening to Justin Hardy talk, talk about what makes him such a good special teams player. And if you haven't seen it, I definitely encourage to watch it. The full press conference on NewYorkJets.com. Well, but you ripped the clip of it. Go to your Twitter account. You can go to. I, I didn't want to plug the Twitter. I wanted to play. I'm a team e, player. E Greenberg here. Jets. Yeah, E Greenberg Jets. But you know, NYJets.com. We're we're team here. You know. Okay. All right. I, I want. I wanted the click for the website, not necessarily for my Twitter. Anyway. <laughs> Let's hear from Connor, now joined by Connor Orr, a staff writer at Sports Illustrated. you got to make sure to subscribe to SI. Connor, thanks a lot for joining us here on the Official Jets Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. So free agency is underway. We're recording this Friday, March 19th. So it started probably earlier this week. Monday was the negotiating window. Wednesday, free agency officially opened. Generally speaking, Connor, what have you thought of the Jets' early moves here? I thought they were really smart. Um, I think that any time that you can get guys in that 26 to 27-year-old range where you know there's still a lot of prime athleticism, there isn't a ton of wear and tear on the body, I think that there's a lot of advantages to that. And what we're looking at maybe is sort of an underdeveloped theme there is guys who are performing above their circumstances in places where they were, right? So you have Lawson in Cincinnati, who I think is a much better pass rusher than numbers indicate. Same with Jared Davis in Detroit and then uh, Corey Davis in uh, in Nashville out there. So I think there are guys that are doing things uh, that, you know, you might not see necessarily in box scores, but that are going to translate in other places. So I thought it was a really smart, really sort of, uh, you know, pinpointed free agency. It seemed like there was a lot more of a focus maybe than they've had in in the, in, in the last few years. You've been in this business for a long time, but with that being said, you're a young guy. Why don't you inform the listeners and viewers when you were a Jets beat writer and who you actually work with in the past, because I'm going to connect it to the Jets and their most recent past, because Connor, when's the last time the Jets had a dominant pass rusher? Well, yeah, when I was there it was Sean Ellis, right? I covered the team from 2010 to 2013. So the, the play that second AFC championship mm-hmm. year run was Sean Ellis and they had Trevor Price. Um, you know, that was a great uh, one-two combination um, and just a great defense in general, Rex Ryan and Bart Scott and Darrell Revis. And that was, I mean, the further away I get from that, team the more special that i realized how complete that unit was how well designed that unit was i mean you had guys like jim leonard who were mm-hmm. just like he was just like a safety in that unit and now he's a defensive coordinator at wisconsin that i'll tell you right now half the teams in the nfl want to be their defensive <laughs> coordinator they want him to come to the nfl he's that good and that smart and so you know just the brain power that was on that team and you know you just don't you don't realize it at the time um, you know, kind of how special something that you were witnessing is uh, was there. But that was, I mean, that was an incredible defense. And that 
pass rush, especially in that playoff win against New England, um, you know, just came alive. And it was always good. You know, they relied a lot on the simulated pressure stuff that Mike Pettin did really well that year. But that was just a straight dominant pass rush in that New England game. And Sean Ellis, I'd never seen him play that good before. That was that was incredible. Yeah, he's had an underrated career with the Jets, but I'm glad you mentioned Ellis because we got to go back to the draft in 2000 and the four aces. And you think about John Abraham mm-hmm. coming off the edge. Carl Lawson, what kind of potential does he have? Because you just mentioned it. Everybody looks at his sack numbers, which aren't staggering um, on the surface. But you look beyond that and say, this guy disrupts the quarterback as well as anybody coming off the edge in the league, it seems, at least in recent memory. And he's 26 years old. So I'm not comparing him to Abraham. I'm not saying he's going to be John Abraham. But uh, do you think the Jets are getting an ascending player who could potentially be one of the top premier pass rushers in the NFL? Yeah, I mean, 44 total pressures last year and and almost 30 quarterback knockdowns, which, like, to me, is nearly as good as a sack or almost as good as a sack. I mean, maybe you don't have the back yardage, but you're probably forcing an incompletion there um, or you're forcing, you know, a throwaway, something like that. So I feel like those are all positive plays. He doesn't miss tackles. I think he had a 5% missed tackle rate last year, um, which was really good. And what was sort of the biggest surprise for me in free agency was if you're the Bengals, you're between that and you're between a guy like Trey Hendrickson, who you're spending the same amount of money on. Trey Hendrickson had a lot of sacks last year, but you go back and watch them all contextually. And, you know, Lawson's working harder on these plays. You know, Hendrickson is coming off of stunts. Um, you know, he's cleaning up maybe a mess that Cam Jordan made, something like that. Lawson didn't have those guys around him in Cincinnati. That was in, in, in I think, schematically, too, there was a lot of problems with that defense. And so I think you're kind of getting a diamond in the rough situation there where um, I think Cincinnati knew that they – should have kept him. I don't know what the calculus ended up being there, but you could see like, you know, at least from my perspective, he should have been in the franchise tag conversation. I think he's mm-hmm. that good. Between Lawson and then Quinn and Williams in the inside. Now, what do you think about the way this jets front four is coming together? Because you think of what Robert Sala had in San Francisco and Jeff Ulbrich will be calling plays, but with Lawson and Williams, it seems like you have two good pieces to build this foundation on. Yeah, I mean, you're going to have interior pressure, which is so important, you know, and and then with Lawson, you're going to finally add that that edge component to it. And that's what Sala had that was so good. I mean, when you have Bosa in San Francisco, you know, everything you do can work off of his ability to create chaos. But I think that these guys are on their way. I mean, it reminds me a little bit of how they developed over time when uh, when Todd Bowles was there, you had you know, Damon Harrison and uh, Mo Wilkerson and Leonard Williams. And you had kind of that group there that was creating a lot of chaos. And they had that one really good season together. I think that that's probably where we could see this going, where, um, you know, especially with the way that Quinn and Williams finished the year last year, I think that you could have, a, there's there's a lot of potential there. And, and I think that they're building it in a way that is not, you know, it's sustainable where you're going to be able to stop the run. Both of these guys can stop the run really well. And, uh, you know, you're not going to get, you know, gassed or burned outside. And, and these guys aren't necessarily just finesse rushers either. So I think all that stuff bodes well, especially for Salah and the kind of mentality that he brings. 
I think we'll come back to the defensive side of the ball, but let's stay with the headliners and talk about Corey Davis. Mm-hmm. What do you think about him, the former number five overall pick in the 2017 draft, had his best professional season last year? And in 2018, what jumped out to us was that Matt LaFleur was the offensive coordinator there, and he played very well in that system. And now fast forward to 2021, he'll be playing for Matt LaFleur's younger brother, Mike LaFleur. Yeah, I think what sticks out to me with Corey Davis is every year there are some kind of key indicators that you look at and he's gotten better at. So each year in the league, um, a quarterback, when targeting Corey Davis, his passer rating has gone up. So it was 91, his rookie year was 100, and then it was 123.6 last year, which is super high. I mean, if you think about quarterback having a 123 passer rating when targeting you, you have to like that. His drop rate, has lessened every single year that he's in the league. So these are those things that tell you like, okay, you you have the athletic talent, you have the God-given gifts, and now, okay, is he on the jugs every day? You know, is he working hard to find open space and develop in the offense? And those are the things that I think that those stats tell you. So it's not only the talent, but it's the willingness to to get better and to improve on that. And I think that he's uh, he's shown that uh, totally shown the willingness to do that. And again, you know, A.J. Brown takes the headlines in Tennessee uh, much in the way that some of these other guys had seen other defensive players or offensive players uh, shine in, in a different way. But that doesn't mean that he wasn't also getting better, you know, and I think that he he's definitely capable, especially with Mims on the other side. I, I think that can be a, a very good, very effective one-two combination. So the Jets have officially signed Corey Davis at the time we're recording this. They've reportedly agreed to terms with Keelan Cole, the former Jaguars receiver. With those two additions, does it give you any insight at all as to what type of offense the Jets want to run under Mike LaFleur? Well, I think it's that Shanahan system, right? And the Shanahan system is all about creating opportunities to get guys yards after the catch. You look at the kind of receivers that Kyle Shanahan wanted in San Francisco, guys like Debo Samuel, uh, Brandon Ayuk, and what he wants are athletes that are going, he's going to be able to get the ball to them with at least two or three yards to either side of them so they, they can continue the play and uh, potentially create that explosive play. And so I think that's the kind of athletes you're looking for, right? Uh, Keelan Cole is another great example of that. Um, and so I, I think that they're in a good spot, right? And that offense naturally if it's run correctly, creates a lot of opportunities for guys. And so it elevates a lot of players. But when you also have these good yard after the catch guys, everything can kind of take off and and really kind of hit the ground running. And so I think that, you know, this offense has been the secret sauce of the NFL for the last two or three years. Now you're probably going to see it run by about half the NFL teams this year, probably, I would guess. And, uh, you know, that's because it's just so good at giving teams opportunities to extend the ball after the catch. What do you think about uh, Jared Davis's signing? Uh, you're going to come here first four seasons of the Detroit Lions. Uh, was the alpha male at the University of Florida? I know a lot of people had high expectations for him. Uh, last year, uh, people thought maybe he was miscast in a 3-4. Now he comes here as 4-3, uh, 4-3 system, uh, where Robert Sala wants his guys running, running full speed. And uh, the book on Davis has been early in his career is that he's been an effective blitzer. He's a powerful guy who gets after, he'll lay you out, and, and he can get up the field. 
Yeah, I mean, if you're Salah, right, your whole deal is the is the all gas, no breaks thing. I mean, that's what he started in San Francisco, and those are the kind of players that he wanted. And to me, if you just call up Davis's tape and you watch it, I mean, that's what you're getting. I mean, in essence, is just a guy that's going to lay people out. And you know, I think that we we you know there are statistical underpinnings to that that you should look at. I mean, yeah, does he need to be better in coverage? Certainly. I mean, but has he been better in coverage when, um, you know, in different circumstances and different defenses? Yes. So I think that you get a guy like Sala to get his hands on Davis. And I think that he's a player who could take off and really become that legitimate, you know, uh, that middle linebacker that we talk a lot about. Um, but yeah, I, I like him a lot. I mean, he's, he's a fun player and, you know, for perspective, there are coaches that I talked to um, around the league who couldn't under couldn't overstate enough, I guess, how much of a mess that defense was um, in Detroit, especially like the last two years where there were coaches that were going into those games and they were playing the Lions and they were beating them at stuff and there was just no adjustments being made and they were like just giddy with it. You know, they were so excited that they were able to just hammer this team in the most simple ways. And so I think that that kind of hurts Davis's evaluation a little bit. You're saying, well, why didn't he do this well? Or why didn't he do that well? I think a lot of times he wasn't put in a good spot. And mm -hmm. you go into a position where you're able to play with someone like Robert Sala, and I think all of a sudden that can turn some things around for you. Because, you know, when you're with a good defensive coach, you're almost always going to be in the right spot, you know? And I think that's a, a big difference between playing uh, for Sala and playing where he did in Detroit. For out of all the players that the Jets have either signed or reportedly agreed to terms with, based on what you just said, is it fair to say that Jared Davis maybe has the most untapped potential that we've seen in the NFL? Yeah, and and that's part of that's on us, right? I mean, we're the ones that are you know quote, you know air quotes rating these players, and I think that you know we're the ones that are you know saying who's good and who's bad, and so you know with Davis, that's probably the most that's most likely the player that 10 games into next year, when you're listening to WFAN and somebody calls in and says, yeah, you know, I like that guy, you know, he was, he surprised me a little bit. Like I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's the guy that you're talking about because he comes in under the radar. But again, I would caution everybody. It's like, go back and watch the games and um, actually just, just keep your eye on him kind of uh, in that context and watch the way he's flying around the ball. I mean, he's always going a hundred miles an hour. Does that bite him sometimes? Sure. But like, wouldn't you rather have a guy that's picking his gap, his trusting his gut and his right 75 or 80% of the time and has blown somebody up. I mean, I would say that's a hundred percent what you would want if you're Robert Sala. I don't know doubt about that. Let's go back a level on the defense. The Jets needed more depth in the secondary. There's no doubt about that. Marcus May got the franchise tag. The two sides can, can continue to work on a long-term deal. But reportedly, they've agreed to terms with LaMarcus Joyner, former second-round pick of the Rams, who most recently played with the Raiders. I love his versatility, Connor. And also, he's the guy who I think is going to fit in tremendously in terms of this culture. Yeah, I think it's another person where – you you know you're judging guys coming off of um, defenses that I mean in Las Vegas they had a changing coordinator because things were a little bit of a mess there but the talent is there and you're right I mean if you're Joe Douglas you're gonna have to hit on some of these guys before you can you know like maybe everybody was pounding the table saying sign Patrick Pearson or whatever you know that's not what you're gonna have to do like look at what the Colts are doing 
and building in Indianapolis where they're hitting on the Kenny Moores of the world. And I think that this is a similar signing where it's going to not cost you a lot of capital up front. There's a lot of upside and you're going to be able to hit on this. And, you know, you're not going to have to just do it once or twice. You're going to have to keep turning these guys over and finding talent in the secondary. So I thought that I thought it was a good signing. You know, I think that Douglas has been smart. You know, I think he's not um, he's not lighting a bag of money on fire. Um, and I think that uh, he's he's finding good players. Connor, my final question to you at the time we're recording. And by the time this gets posted, this could totally change. But. <laughs> Knowing who the Jets have signed and reportedly agreed to terms with, are there any names or positions that you think could be on the Jets' radar for the rest of free agency, not only in this upcoming week, but the next couple waves as well? Deshaun Watson. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, (laughs) um, One name that I heard uh, kind of, uh, you know, I I think that would be interesting. So I did a a film project with uh, Sheldon Rankins before um, free agency started former first round pick of the saints. Um, I think he was 12th overall pick had some Achilles issues in new Orleans. And, um, you know, I, I had connected him to the jets in one of my uh, free agency posts and everyone's like, we don't need that. We don't need that. But if you think about it, you're, you're strengthening a strength, right. And you're making something, you're taking something that's going to be hard to defend and you're going to try to make it impossible to defend, to defend just like Robert Sala was doing in San Francisco. And I think Rankins is a really great, sort of budget option there. Um, You know, he can play a lot of different positions. He came out of college with that JJ Watt pedigree. Like he was inside outside rusher, did a lot of versatile stuff there and uh, just a really interesting player in new Orleans. Um, And so, yeah, we, we, we watched some of his film broke down some of the stuff that he did really well in new Orleans. And I think that would be a great fit there. You pair him um, on the inside with Quinn and Williams on third and longs. He can stay on the outside and rush a guy that again, you know, doesn't get the attention because you know you're playing with Cam Jordan, you're playing with these other guys, and you were hurt for a lot of your rookie contract. But that's a position that I think might be uh, might be really interesting to see if they even sort of try to overload on the defensive line a little bit. If you're Joe Douglas, how are you analyzing the Jets' quarterback landscape? You just joked about somebody else, a, a famous player, <laughs> one of the elite players in the National Football League on somebody else's roster, but Joe Douglas has been forthright that, hey, we are going to study all our options. And while the Jets think Sam Darnold is an unbelievable talent who ultimately will reach his potential, he said if teams call, he would certainly listen. And the Jets in an advantageous advantageous position with the number two overall selection in the NFL draft. So what do you think, what kind of advice would he give Joe Douglas over the next couple of weeks? He doesn't need my advice, but he, uh, I, I think that he's smart in, you know, I, I've heard some people complain about the, um, you know, uh, him being so forthright about saying, I'm going to take any call. My phone's always on. But if you set the precedent from that, from day one, if that's who you are and you're honest about that, I think that that's all the players really want. I mean, everybody knows it's a business. And I think the problem is guys who, pretend that it's not and they pretend that they care and then they're taking the calls and then it gets out that they're taking the calls right and so why wouldn't you if you're douglas just say yeah i mean my job is to make this team better my phone's on people are going to call and i'm going to listen and i think that that's just a perfectly reasonable way to expect anybody to conduct business and i think that it's smart and this this um this draft class presents a lot of interesting options Mm. so I think, you know, you take your time, you do your due diligence. 
there's probably a window in there where you, if you make up your mind that you would like to let him go, you don't want to fall into the Josh Rosen situation where every day that you're not dealing him, you're basically costing yourself a piece of draft capital. You know, I think that there's probably a peak window there where you can hit it. Um, it's probably very soon because a lot of these quarterbacks are going to start flying off the board and teams are going to want um, maybe a developmental option. Like I'm thinking if you're Pittsburgh, if you're San Francisco, if you're New England, even though they wouldn't trade them to the Patriots. But, um, you know, some of these teams are going to want younger developmental options there. And so Darnold could be intriguing if he decided to move on. But so I, I think he's doing the right thing. You know, I think that anybody complaining about him picking up the phone, you know, uh, what general manager is picking up the phone, you know, maybe outside of Nick Casario right now in Houston, allegedly, but I even think that maybe he's not picking up the phone, but maybe he's, uh, maybe he's on uh, WhatsApp or something. I don't know. Some encrypted. <laughs> What's it? How about your projects? What are you working on? Got a lot of stuff. I mean, yeah, like you said, uh, we're, uh, you can subscribe to SI now. And so, you know, we have a ton of great stuff. We have our, you know, daily cover story every day with some great in-depth reporting. We have a lot of our analysis and myself and another former Jets beat writer, Jenny Rentis and Albert Breer. We're, uh, we're holding down the fort over at the MMQB. Um, don't want to give away too much, but I'll say that, uh, you know, have a lot of really exciting stuff um, coming down the pike um, on the technology front, sports technology. Um, and of course, like all of our draft stuff, you know, we're working hard. We have a lot of draft, um, uh, interesting draft profiles, some guys that might end up on the jets. So, uh, yeah, be sure to, uh, to sign up. We're running a dollar special right now. Um, so, you know, you can't beat that and you can combine that with an option to get the print magazine once a month. So I would always, uh, I would always urge people to do that because it's uh, it's a great product. That's in line with uh, mm -hmm. mine and Ethan's budget, the dollar specials. We like those. <laughs> Right. Uh, yeah. Big fan of the dollar special. You got it, EA. <laughs> Connor, thanks a lot for your time. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks, Connor. You know, one thing we didn't talk about with Connor Orr, and it's fine because I don't know how many times he spoke with Carl Lawson, but you spoke with Carl Lawson. Don't you think that he's going to thrive in terms of being a fan favorite and with the New York media? He seems very authentic, but almost in a childish, fun, joyful way. I think he's a happy guy. I think that he sure is happy with the money he's going to receive from the New York Jets. But make no mistake about it. He wants to be considered an elite player in the National Football League. And you talked about that childlike personality. We saw it when Kim Jones was asking him a question. And he said, hey, I like your house, but you got to change the colors up because Kim's background, <laughs> NFL Network, a great reporter, her background in the house was purple. He said, you got to put some green in there. But uh, Lawson, when I talked to him, it was very clear that this is a guy who – not only studies football film in preparation of a, of his matchups, but also he's just a fan of the game and he's a technician and he's a guy who's going to bring a lot of skills to the table. Um, so uh, I, I think that he, he does have a childlike exuberance, um, but those guns for hire are not for hire anymore. And that's what I said to Carl Lawson because he <laughs> went to, he went to social media and said, uh, you know, he put that out there after the Bengals elected not to tag him. But he, he was just wanted to put something out there, he said. And, and he's a guy who I think he loves life, but he loves football. 
And he wants to be part of a build here. And Lawson is a guy that's a key position, not only in this defense, but in every defense in the National Football League. We saw that in the Super Bowl. I mean, you can impact the game if you get to the quarterback. So I, I want to put these guys behind us because as we record this, free agency is still going on. We're still in the thick of it. Maybe the first wave is coming to a close, but there's still the second and third waves and the Jets aren't done in free agency. So I'm curious. I just kind of wanted to talk about where else you think the Jets could address in free agency, not necessarily name players, but if you got a couple names, throw them out there. But the risk you run the risk that that player could be reportedly agreeing to terms with a separate team by the time that this podcast hits the airwaves or by the time someone listens to it. Oh, wow. Okay. So things change so quickly. <laughs> you know that it seems like every minute and we'll be scanning and yeah, let, let me check my phone real quick. Th there you go. But as of this morning, the jets had approximately $34 million in cap space. So, um, the interior guard position, they, they did make a play there already. But uh, nickel corner, right? We started free agency. Uh, Brian Poole, of course, a UFA. What's going to happen there? Javelin Gidry played really well for the Jets last year. You wonder how he fits in their plans and what kind of role he's going to have. But could the Jets address the nickel corner position? And then outside corner, I think Bryce Hall and Bless Austin, just their body types. Good fits for this system, but you still might be looking to add uh, another piece or two at the cornerback position. And, and again, we got to underscore the fact that Joe Douglas says draft and develop. So even if the Jets don't, don't do certain things in free agency, they can come back and do it in the draft because ultimately that's where they want to build this thing. And then what do you think about the linebacker position? I can't imagine they're done there either. Yeah, I can't imagine they're done there. But to your point, does that happen in free agency or does that happen in the draft? I think yeah. that I think maybe in terms of if you were to if you were to make a mock draft of the current Jets picks in the first three rounds, or at least their first four picks. So excluding the second, third rounder, maybe before free agency, you would have said, well, definitely you would expect them to take a wide receiver in the first or second round. Now maybe I think the it's kind of shifted to maybe now it's more of an interior offensive line and cornerback vibe. And I think that, you know, could the Jets make a play at either of those two positions or any of the ones that we mentioned in free agency still? Absolutely. Is this draft class known for its linemen? Absolutely. So you talk about draft and develop. You saw who the number 11 overall pick was last year for the Jets. Maybe Joe Douglas wants to double up on that in the first or second round, even the third round, to try to create a young core inside that offensive line room. Yeah, and then the other thing with the wide receiver position, Keelan Coles is somebody we addressed with Connor Orr. So, uh, you know, you have more depth at the receiver position automatically, and that doesn't mean you can't go get somebody in the draft. Um, the tight end position is – Fascinating because, as you know, Kyle Pitts is one of the top prospects in the entire draft class. Some people probably will have him atop their two or three selections or, or their big board, right? The, the top two right. or three overall players on their big board. But after that, there's quite a drop-off. I think Chris Herndon uh, has some good football left 
in front of him. Ryan Griffin's still on this roster. We'll have to see how that all pans out, the tight end position. Um, but they've gotten better on the outside at the receiver position. And a lot of people have asked about running backs. Well, you got Ty Johnson here, did some good things, and is also a burner. Um, LaMichael Piron, remember, uh, a third-round pick of the New York Jets a year ago, and then also Josh Adams re-signed as well. So if you watch San Francisco, what they've done in the past is they addressed running back by either second-day picks or third-day picks or even going those undrafted free agents. Yeah, I think that the San Francisco style of running back is just who's hot. You know, you, you get a carry, you you got to you rip off a 10 yard run. Here you go. Have at it again. And also, I mean, you think of the outside zone, not necessarily I'm saying this is a perfect marriage, but you think about what the Jets did against the Raiders late in the year, running mostly behind Makai Becton with that outside scheme. Ty Johnson had his first 100 yard game as a pro. So maybe that that's this system suits him well. We'll see what happens. But the one thing I do want to mention before we wrap up, this podcast, it's a rather lighter note. There are three players on this roster who have worn number 84 for their entire career. Ryan Griffin currently on the roster. Corey Davis comes to the Jets and Keelan Cole, who hasn't signed his contract yet as we record this, also wears 84. So we're going to see some new numbers here shortly. Well, that's a very good point. Uh, you know, by the I way, like see, I, I want to see Corey Davis in an 80s number. You know, I don't care if it's 84. Well, you don't, you don't like any of the teens, huh? I I just feel like it's time to have an 80s receiver again on the Jets. And I think since Corey Davis has worn 84, I think he'd look good in 88. He's got the body frame for it. Hey, I said P. Ryan was a third-round pick. Is that accurate? I think he was a fourth-round pick. There you go. I think See? his buddy Jabari, another Gator, was a third-round pick. Yeah, four Gators currently on the roster, right? Yes, sir. And that 2017 yeah. draft class littered with Gators with Jared <laughs> Davis, Marcus May. Who else was that class? Tease Tabor. Quincy Wilson was in that class, I think. And he obviously Wilson, had another former in, Jet. Yeah. Um, yeah. Listen, I do think Corey Davis looks good in 84. I, I, I don't know how this is all going to shake out. I just think he looks like an 84 to me. Yeah. And of course, if you want to add the sentiment to it, Titus Davis, yeah. his older brother, wore 84, and that, I think that's why he wears 84. So we'll see. You know, Maybe Ryan Griffin and Corey Davis can shake something out. Yeah, well, you know, there's always financial transactions that sometimes become public, sometimes they don't. We'll have to see what happens. But right now, Griff's got the 84. If you go to NewYorkJust.com. <laughs> <laughs> well, and we will stay tuned not only to that, but every episode of the official Jets podcast powered by AWS.